let's put the salters down. Thank you for piping up, drowning out my off key. By the way, we have to, us old folks gonna have to find a different place to sit. <laughs> Our eyes are going on us. It's not the first thing. There's probably plenty of other things that have gone too on us. All right, let's, uh, we'll go ahead and get started. Yeah, we'll do that one again. <laughs> what I want to pick up tonight is a brand new set of uh, lessons, and I'm going to call this first one, From the Garden to the Glorious City. From the Garden to the Glorious City, Our Trajectory. So first off, let's get this, uh, let's kind of lay the foundation. We're way back at the beginning. I'm reading from Genesis 2. So, hear the word of the Lord. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed out of Eden, and there it separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havlia, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It runs through the east side of Asher. The fourth river is the Euphrates. That's Genesis 2, 8 through 14. But I wanted you to take note of there, and we'll come back to it, is there's gold in the land. There's aromatic resin. There's onyx. And by the way, we're going to find out there were a whole lot of other things underground too. Now from Revelation. So now we're jumping clear to the end. Revelation chapter 21. I'll start in verse 1 and continue on for a little bit. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. This will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the older, old order of things has passed away. Then the angel who talked with me had a measuring rod, of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out in a square. As long as it was wide, he measured the city with the rod and found out to be 12,000 stadia. In the length and its width and high as it is long, the angel measured the wall with human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper, and the city of pure gold, as pure glass, the foundations of the city were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, 
the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each one made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. Thus, ending, thus ends God's word, the reading of God's word. So, you've got these pictures before you, but let's try to embrace them and try to deal with them. History starts in a garden. History starts in the garden. We are, but it ends in a city. So it won't end in southern Indiana, right? In a nice 20-acre property, sorry. <laughs> but we are to rule and to subdue, and we're called to take dominion of this world, all to the glory of God. There in the garden, we found an abundance of trees, and we were to learn, and we were to and God provided food for us in these trees. And even we find out later healing in their leaves. But in the ground, we learned there was gold, there was onyx. And we found out later there were a whole bunch of other things. Think about all the things that have come out of the ground that are useful. Petroleum, aluminum, steel, cobalt. And we learned about rubies and topaz, topaz and all manner of other things buried in this ground. From the ground comes wood, comes food, wood, clay, metals, oils, and all things beautiful. And God has called us to recreate them, to transform them into something useful and beautiful. Consider what we make that comes originally from the ground. Cakes. We make cakes, right? They don't come from underground, not normally, but they're grown in the ground, right? The flour. Wooden music boxes, medicines, jewelries. The, the materials for grand buildings, automobiles, books. Look around and all that has come from the ground and give glory to God. So you know the story, right? The serpent or the dragon comes to the garden. Eve is deceived and Adam disobeys. Sin enters the world. There are descendants who were to take dominion and who were to dig up the ground and recreate these things, right? Harvest them. Consider what they do, right? There is pain, there is suffering, and the, and the world is cursed. And this suffering, this desire to rule and subdue goes on. They are still seeking to take dominion, but no longer to the glory of God. They are doing it for their own glory. Adam's descendants, if you had any doubt about their sinful nature and them seeking their own glory, consider how the first brothers end. Right? Cain killing Abel. So God, we see their wicked plans continuing on in the book of Genesis, and God frustrates their wicked plans. He floods the world. Now I know from our Sunday school training, right, and in, in the, in the coloring books, our focus is at this time is on the animals walking to the ark, right, by their toozy toozies or however the song goes, right? You probably all know it. And we all miss focus. The bigger, larger focus is what was happening outside of the ark. God's horrific judgment upon the world and all those who died, right? So after the flood, Noah's descendants or subset of Adam's descendants continue to build. Consider what they built right after the Tower of Babel, right? And it was to reach the heavens. Again, 
still to their glory. God scatters them. He confuses the language. He sends them out saying, or you get the sense he sends them out saying, I told you to go and subdue this earth instead of standing all on the plain, right? And all this, we see how God is driving history. God is, he doesn't have plan A and that gets refuted and goes to plan B. He has one plan. He's been driving history to its climax, which is his son all along the way. And he gives us pictures of his son all along the way. Abraham. Abraham is a picture of Jesus, right? He's a faithful man. Then he gives us Moses, a lawgiver and a deliverer. Willing, by the way, here's a theme here, so catch this one. Willing to take on tyrants. He gives us Joshua, leads the people to the promised land and fights with the various wicked leaders of the Canaanites. He gives us David, a poet, also a fighter, submitting to God, even willing to take on giants. Solomon is a wise son, a great builder, and he leaves us with some deep thoughts, doesn't he? How about Daniel? Again, someone taking on tyrants. Daniel faithfully worships God and takes on the superpowers of his day, and he wins. He wins, even though his natural male strength was gone. He was a eunuch, if you've missed this. He was made a eunuch. He, who does he take on? He takes on Nebuchadnezzar. He calls, finally, Nebuchadnezzar looks heavenward. And God opens his eyes, right? He takes on Nebuchadnezzar's son and warns him to turn and to serve God. He doesn't. Belshazzar does not. And he loses his kingdom that night. David, or Daniel, works with Darius. And Darius glorifies God. Remember, after Daniel spent a night in the lion's den, Ezra and Nehemiah are also builders. They take on the world leaders of their day. And they get resources from these world leaders to do what? To rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild the worship, uh, the center of worship and the walls of the city, right? In all of history, we see the frustration that sin brings. We see instead of having Jesus reign or God reign, we see tyrants overstretching their bounds all over the place and God's people taking them on again and again and again. So the climax of history, Jesus' birth, death and resurrection and then ascension. Where Adam failed and sinned, Jesus is perfect. Jesus even faced 40 days in the wilderness was hungry, humanly weak, but it resisted the temptation of Christ. So where Adam was well-fed, he wanted more. Where Jesus wasn't well-fed, he accepted from God and was obedient. Moses, consider how, how Jesus is a type of Moses. Moses gave the people the law. Jesus comes and clarifies the law. Not that Moses had corrupted it, but the, uh, the Pharisees had corrupted it. He drives out confusion and he leads his people. Joshua, like Joshua, Jesus is going to lead us into the promised land. Yet it is no longer this piece, in the piece of land in the Middle East that's the size of New Jersey. By the way, I always wondered why anybody would want New Jersey anyways, but I'll, that's another matter, right? Instead, Jesus came to take possession of the world. He's leading us to take possession of the world, that which he died for, every mountain, river, stream, and rock. Like David, Jesus is a poet. How is he a poet? 
Consider his words and his stories and the phrases that are even known by unbelievers. How many unbelievers pick up this phrase out of context by Jesus of judge not? How many people outside the church know about the prodigal son? How many people outside the church know about narrow is the way? Jesus' phrases and stories have gone far and wide, haven't they? Well, Jesus takes up the battle, not against flesh and blood, but against the false teaching of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and even against the Romans. Remember remember his exchange with uh, Herod, sorry, with Pilate. Like Solomon, Jesus is a wise son and a great builder, except he is going to destroy that wasn't Solomon's temple, but it was one like that. He's going to destroy that temple, and he's going to build a greater and better temple. And he's going to use his blocks, people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. And now that whole that uh, that temple that Solomon built, we talk about the Shekinah glory filling it, and people were, couldn't even go in there. That same glorious spirit is alive and well in us, and inhabits us. And we are learning to make sacrifices of ourselves. So the worship continues. Like Daniel, Jesus has been doing battle with the proud superpowers of the day. The earth is his. A tyrant, by definition, is someone who doesn't acknowledge Jesus' power and tries to claim that which is not theirs. Put on your mask. That's a tyrant. That is not theirs to claim, right? Shut down the churches. That is not, they're showing themselves to be tyrants, right? So Jesus took these, took these battles up, fought the superpowers of his day, and he calls them to bow the knee, to kiss the sun, lest they be dashed. Jesus is still humbling the proud. He calls the court, and uh, Omar, Momar Gaddafi, if it's time for him to go down, he'll go down. The leader of North Korea, when God says it's time, he's going down, right? Let's not forget this. Like Ezra and Nehemiah, we're often sent into exile, right? We face stern pruning, yet from the ashes, God rebuilds. This is a Chesterton thought. Christianity is a religion of resurrection. It's a religion of resurrection. When it looks like it's good and dead, that's where God mightily shows his power. Never count out God's people, for the spirit is too strong. So, now, with regard to the church or the kingdom of God, what is the trajectory? Take your hints from all those people I just talked about. But think about the popular paradigm. The last 150 years or so is preach the gospel, save a few souls, huddle together in church, love on one another, and have an expectation there will always be a faithful remnant. But very few. Very few. Jesus came to save very few. Right? That's the the expectation. And and Jesus' return is right around the corner when some antichrist is going to be revealed. There's always doom and gloom everywhere. The giants of this world are too large, and we can't go up against them. Right, there was uh, there's no way we can can do this, and the Antichrist is going to be coming. There's a boogeyman, and we're fearful. 
like Saigon, by the way, I guess I can say like Afghan, like Afghanistan, Kabul, right? There are only a few that are old enough to remember Saigon when, at the end of Vietnam War, when people were being taken off in a uh, helicopter, right? That's our view. Jesus, come and beam me up, right, to the Starship Enterprise. Beam me up, Scotty, and take me out of this world. This view holds that the world is Satan's. And Jesus did not bind the strong man, right, that he could take possession. This, the overarching view is the world is going down the crapper. It's a British man, right, Thomas? <laughs> it's going down the toilet, right? That's the view. And don't polish the brass on a sinking ship. Just love on one another. Don't engage. Don't do anything, right? Now, a more stoic approach is this. We are going to spiritualize all these teachings of Scripture, right? After being largely embarrassed by the number of people named as the Antichrist, and I'll just pick a short snippet, right? JFK, Henry Kissinger, Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, Obama. I don't care, right? And the list grows and grows and grows. They've taken the high road. They're embarrassed as can be. So we're not sure there will really be an earthly manifestation of God's kingdom, but God is good, and he's... And his, he is loving and his will be done. Some of that hold this view are even optimistic that good things will happen. But they're not 100% sure. And they're, but they're optimistic about a non-existent kingdom. Right? They're optimistic about another non-existent kingdom. There is another view. Instead of building God's kingdom, certain pastors have enticed us to say, let's build your kingdom. Let's build your kingdom. You can, have, you, you can live your best life now, right? And uh, we can stock your bank accounts, right? We call this the prosperity gospel, and I think all those in this room will say, yep, this is wrong too. Let's talk about the robust view. Jesus is ascended to heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of God and now rules the world. Yet his kingdom is like a mustard seed. Remember this tiny little seed. It started small in Jerusalem with 120 disciples. And from that time, it's been growing to the largest plant in the world. And it cannot be ignored. Jesus is Lord of Lords. Let's put it in modern terms. He's president of presidents. He's prime minister of prime ministers, right? Whatever country you want to pick. And all the world leaders will have to give an account. He raises them up to be a blessing and he can bring them down whenever he sees fit. In Isaiah chapter 11, it speaks of the coming of this kingdom, where sin and death are replaced by righteousness and glorious living. The knowledge of the Lord will fill this world as the waters cover the sea. In this world, there will be pain and suffering, but there are also God's people who are called to be a blessing. Step in and be a blessing through the Spirit. Reverse the curse, as the song goes. So, again, where are we going? By the way, this is the part, if you catch anything, get this, because I think for a long time we missed this. When we die, our spirit will indeed go to heaven while our uncremated body lays in the, uh, in the casket, right? Uh, <laughs> so our uncremated body lays in a casket. Our spirit will go to heaven. We will be with Jesus in heaven. Temporarily. Temporarily. Did you catch it? What it said? It said in Revelation 20 
We are coming back down. We are going to live in this earth, this new and recreated place. How is it being recreated? The same way it was created the first time. God spoke and it was. God's people are speaking and so it will be. We, by God's power, we are going to redeem this and we're going to redeem this. So the preaching of God's word is redeeming us. We are new creations and we are working to redeem the world. The mountains and the trees and how the animals are held and the businesses we build. We are going to live here. We are not going to heaven and to learn to fly and play harps all our life, right? We are coming back. So that's the part that should twist your twist you a little bit, right? At least it twisted me when I got a hold of it. So the world started in a garden. And as we mature, think about where it ends up. It ends up in a city. Our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren are going to build upon our shoulders. The institutions, the the, the uh, traditions, the things that we do, they will stand on our shoulders. And let's hope it's a good one. Let's hope it's a good and honorable things, right? Uh, otherwise, it'll burn away. But think about the good and honorable things, the gold and the onyx and the other precious items. They've been harvested and they've been put to good use. The people of God have worked. They're taking dominion. They're blessing their neighbors. They're busy building churches, hospitals, schools, businesses, bakeries, and hopefully a few breweries, right? They're building, they're making bread and buildings, all this to the blessing of their neighbors. And think about those things that have passed some test of time, right? Uh, sorry, who made the Canon and D again? Puck Bell's Canon and D. I think that's passed the test of time. And I want to shake Pock Bell's hand, right, to say thank you very much. What are you doing that will pass the test of time, right? That which they have built has lasted the test of time. It's beautiful, it's glorious, it's true, it's solid, and it's a blessing. And it's to the glory of God that endures the test of time, like these noble metals, right? It's not the necessarily popular, it's not the plastic, Things like a pet rock or a fidget spinner. I'm not sure we're going to find those in heaven, right? I think they've had their microsecond in history. So, but the truly endure, enduring things, the glorious things, these are of great value. Learning to play the piano, learning to sing, learning to draw, learning to make a great cheesecake, right? These are the things that are going to pass the test of time. God has saved us, not that we can go to heaven, and just hang out and take harp lessons. He saved us that we might learn to worship him, serve our neighbors, and be a blessing. God has saved us to confront tyrants. Tyrants are taking the role of God on this earth where they shouldn't. And we should worship God and saying, no, we should shine the light on those dark things and knowing that they will not be our friends, right? We should warn them to kiss the sun. We should love them and say, warn them to kiss the sun lest they be struck. I'm quoting from Psalms 2. And in doing this, we're fo following in a long line of saints and we're learning what it means to disciple nations. This work that I've just talked about may take a thousand or 10,000 years to complete. I do not know. But if you think, Jesus is going to come back in my lifetime, 
I'm pretty old and I've been hearing that most of my life, right? And it hasn't happened and it's a cop-out not to do, to pick up and go to work. God says, Jesus says, he should find us busy. What I want to finish here is, finish the last little bit, I want to go to Matthew 28, the end of the gospel. Listen to this. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I don't care what the United Nations says. I don't care what this law says or that law says. All power on earth. I don't care what some petty dictator says has been given to me. Therefore, to us, go and make disciples of nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything. Guess what? Sometimes they don't like to obey, but the command is still to us to obey, to teach them how to obey. And surely I will be with you always to the end of the age. Now I know some of you are doubting, like the first disciples, what I just said. I tried to paint a glorious picture of the future, and it's like, it's too good to be true. So, even the first disciples doubted, right? But God calls us to be faithful. Know that all power in heaven on earth has been given to him, and he's turning us loose, right? So that we can take on these people like the emasculated Daniel, right? Without human strength. We can take them on like an 80-year-old man named Moses going to the superpower of his day, right? We can take them on. So, change your scope. You're on the right side of history. Change your scope. You're on the right side of history. Live with eternity in mind, knowing that which you do today will bear fruit in these new heavens and new earth. Let's build with in mind to know that these traditions and habits and things I'm teaching my children, my great-grandchildren, my great-great-grandchildren, my great-great-great-great-grandchildren, build institutions uh, leave great recipes behind. Know that what you're doing with eternity in mind, right? And then come back. We'll come back and have a look and see what they did with it. Think large. Disciple nations. Think long. Win the hearts of your children and call them to join in this wonderful work and, and uh, as their life. I'm just going to one sentence to tell you what the, what's coming in the future lessons. The thing that powers this kingdom is worship. Is worship. And guess what? Our current modern evangelicals haven't got it right. So we're tepid. We're weak. We don't know what we're doing. And our worship isn't driving on the building of this kingdom. So in coming lessons, I'm going to spend a whole lot of time talking about worship, shape, form, and how powerful it is and why it drives this kingdom on in history. So, questions, comments?